0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host Atema, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Canary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. I hope everyone is safe and well and staying in good spirits despite whatever is going on right now. And our studio is currently closed due to the outbreak of COVID nineteen in New York City. So we are recording uh, this episode remotely from my apartment in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And this show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is Pyon sushi? We hear dashi wami ni zakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program, my cool guests. My guest today is Chris Odi, who is a whiskey expert based in California. And Japanese whiskey is very popular among whiskey connoisseurs in the world lately. Chris understands Japanese whiskey thoroughly, but it's not the only reason that he's here today. He has done something very precious for the shochu industry of Japan. For listeners who are not familiar with shochu, it is a Japanese traditional distilled spirit made from grains and vegetables, such as sweet potato, barley, rice, buckwheat, and sugar cane. And in Japan, if shochu is barrel-aged for a long time and its color turns amber, you cannot sell it in the market. It doesn't make sense, but that is how it works and the law. So about 10 years ago, I met a woman who was the owner of a shochu distillery in Japan. And she recently contacted me and said that an American gentleman bought their unsaleable barrel-aged shochu and made it into coveted whiskey label in the US. So I was so intrigued by the story and asked her to introduce me to that gentleman. So here he is. That is Chris Odi. So today we'll discuss the unique flavor profile of barrel-aged shochu, the Japanese regulation to restrict the sales of dark-colored shochu, how dark-colored shochu can be sold in the U.S. as whiskey, and much, much more. But Quickly, before you start, Japan Needs is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanese at the Heritage Video network.org or at Now let's start a conversation with Chris Ori. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the show.
2: Hello, thank you for having me.
1: So uh, did I <laughs> pronounce your last name, last name properly? U-R-D, uh U R D O D. Uh, okay. Udi is
2: one way you can say Uda, Udi, or we say Yudi as well. There's a million. Uh. Ways
1: okay, so, I got it so wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Um, all right. So um, first of all, where are you from, and what did you eat when you grew up?
2: Well, I'm from Athens, Georgia, originally, and my diet growing up was was a little bit mixed, depending on what age I was. When I was real little, my my mom raised three of us by herself as a teacher, and so. We ate a lot of baked chicken. On Sunday it was baked chicken, and then Monday it would be baked chicken sandwiches, and on Tuesday it would be baked chicken and soup. Then, as <laughs> I, I got a job, it became uh, lots of soul food, where I would splurge, and then of course a lot of fast food as well.
1: Mm. Okay, sounds like you had a very good uh, diet when you grew up.
2: I um I definitely got my calories in one way or another. (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) All right. So, uh, so you're known as a whiskey expert and LA magazine called you the first name in LA whiskey. So, uh, how did you get into the beverage business?
2: Well, that's, that's, it was a little bit serendipitous to be honest. I, um, I'm originally from Athens and I played in rock and roll bands there and I decided I, I couldn't stay there anymore because I was starting to become Peter Pan and Never Neverland. So, so I needed to get out and I had a place to stay in New York and I had a place to stay in L.A. And um, I'd been to New York before because of rock and roll. We used to go there and play, but, but in L.A., I'd, I'd never seen it. So I, I traveled out to L.A. to meet with a friend of mine whose couch I would be staying on and just kind of catch up with him. And he worked at a liquor store and it turned out he couldn't get off work that day. So I stayed with him at the liquor store and put a bunch of cases away and was just catching up on old times when these guys came in to sell him high-end single malt, single cast scotch uh, whiskey. And because I was friends with him, they let me try it as well. And it it really kind of opened my eyes to what whiskey is. It, it, It was incredible. I'd never really tried anything like it. I'd always been a typical Southern boy with lots of volume drinking, PBR and bourbon. Anyway, at the end of the day, the liquor store owner saw me move so many cases he offered me a job and the guys that came in to sell him whiskey because i asked them so many questions they offered me a job as well so now i had two job offers and a couch so i moved to la and that's how i ended up in the beverage business it was completely bad
1: (laughs) (laughs) or the luck (laughs) two lucks i guess wow so uh so what's your job as a whiskey expert
2: so it's changed over the years um my I guess officially I've got two jobs. I run the Southern California operations for a distributorship, and then I'm co-owner in an import company that brings whiskeys from other countries into the U.S. But our job, because we're a small company and because we deal with smaller family-owned brands, it's our job is more of making sure that we educate the consumer as far as their investment that they're making into our products. So that's where I come in as a whiskey expert, is to make sure everyone's empowered to be able to make the decision that they want so they're taking home a bottle that, that they're going to love.
1: Mm, right, well the whiskey market has been really hot and everybody wants to have good whiskey, so probably you don't have to try to sell more like like you said you have to educate people. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, well it's a, it's a little of both, right? You're always nothing no business is done without a sale, but we definitely um we definitely focus on the educational side of it because what like why choose one whiskey over another like when you're making it's not a small investment when you invest in a bottle of whiskey anywhere from you know on the on the cheaper end it could be thirty dollars but on the higher end it could be hundreds of dollars we just want to make sure that people that buy our whiskeys know what they're getting and that they're happy with what they're getting so that there's no disappointment because that's a lot of people work very hard for their money nowadays and they want to be able to whiskey something that they want to be able to enjoy at the end of it and we want to make sure that they've got the right one for them because there is right. no whiskey
1: Mm. Yeah, I happened to go to uh, the Whiskey Fest and the last one in New York City. I did like hundreds and it's such a, it's not just the same colored thing. It's so many different um, aging to production method to ingredients and I was confused to be honest. So yeah, I understand you need education. So, um, So let's talk about the Japanese whiskey that you discovered and made into a wonderful like, what well, Japanese shochu made it into wonderful whiskey. So it's called the Fukano Distillery Whiskey. And it scored number 20 in the top 20 of 2017 by Whiskey Advocate. And it was the only Japanese whiskey in the category. So it is a big deal. So what exactly is uh, the Fukano Distillery Whiskey? And how it's made and what flavor profile does it have? And, you, you know, you can just explain whatever it is.
2: Oh, wow. So so to do that, I kind of want to take you a little bit into the history of distilling in Japan. And it's going to make more sense when, when I come out at the end. So if we look at the history of whiskey, the first written whiskey is in 1494 uh, in Scotland, by the, where the Friar John Cor was ordered to make eight bowls of malt, which was about 300 liters. Meanwhile, at the same time, you had distillation kind of happening in East Asia as well. I mean, Distillation in Japan dates back to first written record of it is 1546, and that's actually in down in Kyushu. So they think that it came that it was heading to both regions simultaneously through um, through uh, through different trade of trade of commerce. Going going into Asia, it was done through the Portuguese explorers, and it came in through Ryukyu first, which which is now we know as Okinawa, and then it made it up into Kyushu. And it kind of makes sense that they would almost have two different words, so when people talk about shochu and whiskey, well, it makes sense that the Japanese wouldn't use the word whiskey all the way back then because they weren't there was no commerce with Scotland, so there's no reason for those for that vocabulary to transfer over between the two countries and so the south of Japan develops its own style of distillation, which involves koji and rice because they have both in plenty, and you know Koji dates back what nine thousand years, I think into China and clay pots so so it really does have this rich history and they work with that type of distillation and that's what they carry through. And because they make it from a grain, it is a whiskey and it, but it carries a different style of a format in that in Scotch whiskey you use, or even in American whiskeys, you tend to use either column stills, which were developed in the 1800s, or you use copper pot stills and you tend to take cuts, heads and tails to take off the, the methanol, to try to harvest the ethanol by itself. And you don't use koji to kind of refine the fermentation So you end up with a more brash style of distillate that is then mellowed out by the oak. Whereas in the South, where they make shochu, they are focused on how the distillate comes off the still immediately. And because they use koji, they actually don't have any methanol in their ferment. So they don't need to take that first cut. So they start with almost a softer, more... I don't want to say it's, it's almost like a softer, more elegant spirit that's designed to be drink. And then it goes into a barrel where it transitions into almost something completely different and new. And, and the way it ties into whiskey is that at the end of the day, like the Fucano whiskeys, they, they look and they taste when they're aged to new oak cast, they look and taste like bourbons from the 1970s. It's, it's really kind of remarkable. Or if it's a refill cast, sometimes it tastes like a grain whiskey from Scotland that's about 30 or 40 years old if they do sherry cask, the, the rice distill itself is so malleable to the type of cask that it quickly takes on the profile of the cask and transforms in, into almost a separate thing beyond what it started as.
1: Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. I, I really never thought of connecting shochu and whiskey and now <laughs> started to be connected in my head. So, um, so the, right. So the, uh, let's see. So you, that's the history of whiskey. So now, um, so what kind of labels um, you have? Like Fucano Distillery Whiskey, you have a couple of different labels, right?
2: Right. So, um, sorry, I guess I tangented there a little bit. I apologize. I just love it so much. Um,
1: <laughs> you know, I enjoy that too. The the,
2: the styles are, um, they're made the same way, right? So Fukano Whiskey is done in a single pot still. It's just a single pot still made from stainless steel. And the labels that come with that currently we have, Every year we do a limited edition. This year, the 2020 edition will be a combination of, there'll be a few wine casks in it, um, some refill sherry cask and some refill oak casks. And that'll be about 3,200 bottles, I think at most. Then there's a 10-year-old, which is a combination of new oak and refill oak. And that has more of that bourbon style to it. And um, that that's limited to a few thousand bottles as well, but we've done, there'll be three batches done of it. And then We'll see what casks fukano san allocates me after that. And then um, we have a, there'll be three single 12-year-old casks coming in this year. So every now and again, fukano san will allocate a cask that's just, there's no way to, all I'm going to do is if we vat it with anything else is is take away what the uniqueness of that cask. So we decide to follow those by themselves. and And there's three of those coming in this year. And then, like, you can still find on the market some 16-year-old sherry casks and 14-year-old Nuo casks. But those were sold out of those, but I think they're still floating around out there. And then there's some wine casks on the way, but those haven't been released yet.
1: Okay. Well, I'm a little bit, you know, like, they they have. So they had the barrels of shochu, and uh, you are kind of transferring to transfer the aged, already aged. Shochu to different kinds of barrels, right? Is that how it works?
2: Yes and no. So there's a little bit of finishing that's done, where a few casks might be transferred over if we need more oak influence. Um, but for the most part, they're kind of perfect as they are. The the you know it's it's a real interesting history. The a, as you're aware, the the shochu used to be able to be barrel aged in its natural cask and, and carry all that color with it up until the 1980s. So so people were using cast to barrel aid shochu and release it as that. But then it became, there was um, there were some tax law changes and there was some lobbying that went on and basically as a separation of the categories, they made the law that said shochu had to be bottled at a very light color. And, and that's what kind of transferred shochu into not being like what we're bottling as now. So what we're bottling now is, is really the original product, just 30 years removed from, from it allowed to be used in, by law, if it makes sense. Mm,
1: right. Okay, so um, do you know how, how many barrels in total they, they have? I, I When I visited kind Fukanow of Distillery, uh, it was like I was taken to somewhere in the back and there's some barrels and barrels. So they, they have plenty of shochu to be converted to whiskey, right? They
2: they do. They're, as of right now, I don't know how many casks they have on hand. fukano san never gives me the... The, the true number but he's got he's got a bunch in the distillery and I think he keeps some offside as well in another warehouse mm-hmm. so um so they've got they've they've got plenty every year I go over there and he's like these are the ones you can have this year
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> right because I was looking at at uh, the website and uh, for example the premium distributor's kernic as uh, 2019 release they have uh the vault one vault two and 10 year and 14 year single cask. It's like it sounds like you can discover a lot of flavors depending on, you know, that the vintage. So yeah, I haven't I gotten to taste any of those, but sounds really good.
2: Well we'll have to fix that rapidly so that you can try them. The Vault Ones and Vault Twos are super unique because those were um those were ones that had gone into oak back into the nineties and then were moved out of oak and actually put into tanks to stop the oak influence in the mid two thousands. And, um, and then th- there were different tanks and then there were awesome oaks. So the way those were put together is we took some oak casks and we took a couple of tanks and then we would vat that together. So it's really an expression of distillate from the 1990s all the way up until like the, the early two thousands for both of those in different styles. So the vault two would be mm. sort of floral and fruity. And the vault one has got this, a little bit of sherry influence, a little bit of gunpowder, the great. So we'll have to fix wow. that you can try them all.
1: Okay, <laughs> I can't wait. Um, so where is the Fukano Distillery, and uh, what kind of history does the distillery have?
2: So the, the distillery was founded in 1823. Um, the Fukano family was origin; they originate out of Fukuoka. and Tokiji Fukano was a rice merchant. He would he would go. He actually worked for the government, going to source rice for the Fukano or for the Fukuoka prefecture. And he got down to Hideyoshi and noticed how beautiful it was and decided, that's it, I'm out. He uprooted his family. They all moved down there and they opened the distillery. So in two years, he'll celebrate 200 years in operation, which is really fascinating. Hideyoshi, well,
1: Hideyoshi by the way, is a shogun. So he changed yeah. the whole history of Japan.
2: So <laughs> <laughs> that goes beyond what I know of, of Japan. I know just a, I just know a little bit about the beverages. And the, as far as the politics, I'm fully removed. <laughs>
1: Right, <laughs> Yeah, but, but Hideyoshi is like, wow, it's really like one of the greatest names of history as shoguns. So, um, yeah, and I heard uh, that currently they have a seventh generation. And, yeah, we're going to talk about how you discovered. But you spoke to um, the woman that I met 10 years ago. She's yeah. the wife of the seventh generation, oh, the, uh, the sixth generation. And uh, now, Chief uh, Fukano is the seventh generation who became the seventh, uh, the president uh, in 2015, I think. So, um, yeah, and so it's, they have almost 200 years of history. And let's talk about how, when and how you became I and mean, came across Fukano distillery, because it sounds like it's like a miracle. <laughs>
2: So it's a, it was a perfect, again, that's, I guess my life runs in perfect storms. So um, <laughs> just like I fell into the whiskey industry in LA, I fell into this as well almost. Um, I have a friend who imports, he imported sake for a while and he also imported shochu and he actually imported the Fukano shochu into the US and he had a sample of the barrel aged stuff and, and I love all distillates. So we would do shows together where I would be pouring whiskey and he would be next to me pouring shochu and sake. And and we did this for years, and then I had even met uh, Fukano-san, Chizuru Fukano. Fukano-san a little bit, a few times when she had come to the U.S. previously. And he one day brought me this sample, and I just I thought it was incredible. And and I said, "What is it?" And he goes, "It's it's in the back of Fukano's warehouse." I was like, "We got what are you going to do with it?" He goes, "I'm not going to do anything with it." And I said, "May I have permission to to take this and bottle it?" He goes, "Sure, but it, we can't bottle it as shochu." And I said, "I think I know how." So um. My wife, who's also from Kumamoto, remember, it's a perfect storm, so it's got to all work out this way. So my wife, Kumamoto as well. And so we go to Japan a few times a year to see her family over there. So just on one of the trips, we went to the distillery, set up a meeting. And and I explained to uh, Fukano-san, Chizuru Fukano, what, what I wanted to do with him. And she remembered how it used to be done back in the 70s and 80s. And and she said that sounds like fun, and it took a little convincing for for Seiichi, for the seventh generation uh, Shacho. He wasn't quite convinced on it, but but Fukano-san, his his stepmom, she she forced it through. I think she she went to bat for us, and because I had my wife Kumiko with me as well, who could translate, who can interpret all of my American nonsense into polite Japanese. Um, I think it kind of all came together, <laughs> so it was perfect.
1: Oh, wow. right, actually, yeah, so. Yeah, she Tsuru-san. Uh, uh, she told me that uh, she cried with joy when she shi- um, shipped the the first batch of shochu to you, and but uh, well, she couldn't believe that that happened because it was her dream. It was going to be thrown away or something like there's no future. And suddenly, miracle happened, and you saved the whole, you know, the casks. So, yeah, she was so grateful. Um, Yeah, by the way, my uh, father is from uh, Kumamoto and from the Hitoyoshi area. That's where the distillery is. And also that's kind of like a mecca of shochu production, Uh, one of the meccas, uh, Kyushu. So, yeah, that's great. Um, All right, so let's talk about the Japanese regulations that disallow colored shochu to be sold in the market. What is it about?
2: Uh, Well, before I go there, I wanted to take it one step back to to Chizuru San again, because what you said was very moving, because she really was the she really was uh, like, I think she's one of the most brilliant women in the industry, period. And now that she's she's kind of retired, we're always poking her to try to get her to do something else or to to get involved with something new, because she's she's absolutely brilliant. And it, it makes me very happy to hear that she was so happy when it all came in. And then um. The other thing with the barrels, like I know that they can, if they want, they can add new make shochu sure to it, or they can run them through super big heavy HEPA filters that'll pull a lot of that oak out. But I guess they just they didn't know what to do with them, and that's how we got lucky, which was perfect. So the way that it can be brought in as whiskey into the U.S. is is pretty simple. The um, there there's no regulations. Definitions of categories are based on trade agreements with different countries. So the only reason why. We acknowledge, In the U.S., we acknowledge Scotch whiskey as a distilled spirit made in Scotland aged for a minimum of three years is because of trade contact, contracts that we have with the U.K. Um, about the fact that we'll honor that as, as Scotch whiskey. Well, in Japan, there's no regulation for Japanese whiskey aside from a tax law. So there's no real definition of it. And, and that's been historically accurate throughout the history of whiskey distillation in Japan. So there's no there's no trade agreement there between the United States and Japan to kind of honor. So there's nothing there's also nothing to violate. So these qualify as whiskeys under the American definition of whiskey because they're distilled spirits made from grain and aged in oak casks. And so that's that's why we bring them in that way. They, they, it makes more sense. Like they they are prohibited to be called shochu. They are not shochus. That's that's illegal because shochu has to be uh, especially Kuma Shochu, as you know if if your dad's from there it is 28 distilleries that that make some of the best shochu in the world it has its own protected region. But it be bottle No, right, so sho- they have
1: the right like a champagne they have a designation of the name of the region. right?
2: Exactly. So, yes, exactly. Right. And they um they have to bottle only at a certain darkness. They're not allowed to get very dark with a distillate. It's, it's 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 weird how that works, that that law is in place. So these don't qualify as a shochu and we don't want to step on the kuma shochu uh, GI. So we, the only thing that they do qualify for is once you take that away is they do qualify as whiskey. So we bring them in as whiskeys. And it really helps to make sense for Americans to make sense of it because a lot of Americans aren't even aware of the category of shochu. They have no idea that there's 28 distilleries in Kumamoto making it and then another, I think, 125 in Kagoshima making shochu as well. So it's just not that that education isn't there yet. So we hope to be the segue to for people to expand the palate, expand the pie of what whiskey can be. And then they can hopefully dive into shochu from there and really get to know what their distilleries are doing um, with, with all the different with, with their locally made rice and their yeast and everything to, to make such beautiful distillate.
1: Mm, interesting. So, by the way, the most sugar is uh, bottled um, at around 25% alcohol by volume. And uh, the one from the Teficano kind of distillery, is that the higher the proof, like uh, as high as whiskey, like 40 to
2: 45%? Yeah. So, so again, it's, it's all politics at the end of the day. The whiskey, by definition, is a minimum of 40% ABV. So if you were to bring it in at a lower ABV, it, it wouldn't, you couldn't call it whiskey at that point. It'd just be a distilled spirit specialty. Um, mm. Shochu in Japan is bottled at 25%. But if you go, next time you go to your grocery store, you look and it's in the United States, it's usually bottled at 24%. And it'll also say soju on it, which is the Korean term for, for that style of distillate. And the reason why it says soju is because there is a trade agreement between, there is a, a thing in our tax law. In the federal tax law that soju can come in at a reduced tax rate as long as it's no more than 24 percent and it has S-O-J-U written on the bottle. So a lot Mm -hmm. of soju producers to avoid having to pay those taxes will write soju on it and bring it into the states that way. So there again, it's like when you start to talk about trade between two different countries, things are modified and changed to accommodate the country they're going to.
1: Right, yeah, that soju name really makes me sad. <laughs> it's like where's the national pride, and uh, it costs a lot of money, but it's what is the nature of it, right? So, you but, have to get um, abe
2: to, to. You got to get Abe-san to tell our government to include the shochu in the regulation that they gave to soju, so that they can get the tax. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I hope for it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but do you know why, um, you know, despite the regulation, uh, the Fkano Distribility made the barrel is shochu, which is going to be turning to amber. So do you know why they still did it?
2: Before, um, you, you knew this. You tell me why they did it.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I just wanted to add, yeah. So I was curious. You know, um, so I asked Chizuru-san why, but you know, you're not going to be able to sell it. But she said it was right before, most of the time, right before the regulation was introduced. And the reason that regulation was introduced, this is what I heard from her, too. So the Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher of Britain, at the time asked the, the, uh, the Japanese government to regulate the shochu because the tax rate was much lower than that on whiskey. So that's kind of, again, it's very political. And the new regulation came out, so, but already um, they made the barrels, you know, the shochu, aging uh, barrels. So, so going back, why did they make that barrel, aged shochu? So according to Chijuru-san, um, so she said that her husband saw a neighboring distillery that excess shochu and put it in wooden barrels to clear tanks for making a new batch. And her husband thought the barrel-aged shochu would be great, like unique flavors in it. And so, again, it was before the new regulation was introduced. So here they are. And you save the unusable barrels for her. So that's another story of... Oh, the cycle of the story.
2: That's very well put. So I'll give you a little bit more on the history of it. So the you know it's I, I didn't know that uh, about why he put the first stuff into barrel until until you sent that to me in an email. So that was wonderful to read. But yes, you're absolutely right on the history of it. Margaret Thatcher she recognized that the shochus that were being barrel aged and bottled straight from the barrel into the bottle were a big threat to whiskey because if you remember In the 1980s, whiskey was really struggling. It wasn't—it wasn't a category a lot of people were drinking, and there was a six billion dollar trade deficit between Japan and, or between the UK and Japan. Japan was selling six billion dollars more worth of goods over there, and that's why Margaret Thatcher went over to renegotiate those uh, import tariffs on Scotch whiskey into Japan, was to try to give it a a new market that it could capitalize on, and she recognized the shochu was going to be a threat to that market. So they, she lobbied to get those regulations changed because at the time. Not a lot of families, not a lot of shochi-producing families were putting stuff into casks. She caught it before it became a big thing. And so to, to change a law that would only affect a few families was, was it, it just kind of happened, right? Like they, they're they the ones who suffered from it. And the reason why they, they had barrel access to begin with is in the 70s, Ariyaki Sangyo opened up a cooperage down in Miyazaki Prefecture that could then It was like the first time that they could really have access to high-quality barrels without having to transport them from all the way from God knows where. So they had a, a semi-local access to it. And, and the reason why that, that cooperage went in there was to supply a company called Takara Shuzo. And Takara Shuzo is a massive, massive distillery that had like tens of thousands of casks that they were using to mature distillate in to then bottle as their chuhai's. So I don't know if you remember the John Travolta commercials uh, from <laughs> Tokyo. I forget what they called it Tokyo Highball or something like that, and and uh, that was all Takara Shuzo. So that company came in and supplied Takara Shuzo. They immediately w- went around and started selling barrels to the other distilleries of uh, uh, Fukano and Oishi, and, and so. And then the regulations changed, and so all those casts were just sitting there. It was it was it was sad, but it was it's kind of awesome because now we get to enjoy them.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Wow. So, um, yeah, so let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, uh, we'll discuss uh, why um, Japanese whiskey is so popular right now and much, much more. So, please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corinne, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. Koin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information visit coin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats. I'm your host Aki Kote-yama, and my guest today is Chris Early, who is a whiskey specialist based in Los Angeles. And Chris has built a coveted whiskey brand out of barrel-aged shochu that was un- un- unsaleable in Japan. So, um, so let's ask. Let me ask you a question about the American regulation. So, you're able to sell Japanese shochu under the name of whiskey in this country. So, so can you basically? so anything distilled with grains is that the, the simplified version of the law
2: no um there's you can't bring in like you can't bring in a neutral grain spirit that's distilled at you know 96 percent abv and throw it into a cast for five minutes and call it a whiskey that would i don't think that would go over but the the regulations for whiskey in the u.s are pretty loose um if you take a look at a lot of the craft distilleries, you know, some of them will put stuff into a barrel for five seconds and then they'll call it a whiskey. And basically it's still new make. And and that's absolutely fine. I don't have, I think it's kind of great, right? Because in Scotland, you have very strict regulations on whiskeys. In Japan, it's based on a tax law only. And then in the United States, you know, a distilled spirit made from grain and aged in an oak cask is a, is a pretty loose definition, but there are subcategories underneath it that that people do follow. So like bourbon's got a strict set of laws and to be called bourbon, you have to follow those laws. To be called straight bourbon, you must be a minimum of two years. To be called straight bourbon and not put an age statement, you have to be a minimum of four years. So there's, we have different subsections of the regulation. The word whiskey, I choose to view it as more of an umbrella term. So think of the word whiskey, just like the word wine. You have different types of wine. You have Cabernet, you have Chardonnay, you have old world wine new world wine now there's a thing called orange wines which are actually predate all of it because it's that dates back to the the quevery style fermentation of 8,000 years ago and and you like but when you say the word wine you get a fermented beverage made from grapes and then when you use the subcategories of wine then you start to narrow it down into exactly what you're going for and i think whiskey kind of the same thing whiskey is just a distilled spirit made from grain but then Scotch whiskey's got to follow certain laws. Bourbon whiskey's got to follow certain laws. Canadian whiskey's got to follow certain laws, so on and so forth.
1: Mm, right. So still, you created a new category of rice whiskey, right? Which I don't think existed before.
2: Yeah, so so there's a few. Um, I know that they're in Louisiana, they were doing one. And then in Florida, they're doing a whiskey made from rice. There's a guy in California who's done it. There's guys in Oregon who do it. And, um, and then there's some a few other folks overseas as well who, who dabbled in it. And we were, we, we, we helped to kind of pioneer it. There's, a, there's another company as well that, that, that brought in uh, a whiskey made from rice as well. And they did it in a, they went for a different flavor profile than we went for. And, um, and it's, it's kind of two separate things, but, but yeah, why not? Right. Why not expand the pie? Like, do you really want to eat Pizza every day, or do you want to eat pizza one day, a salad the next day, and a steak another day? Like, <laughs> like that's right. the best part of it ever expanding.
1: Right. But do you know that, you know, the, the difference of afgano uh, rice whiskey is it's made with koji, right? Yes. And yes. I'm not sure the places like you know, Louisiana or Oregon, they use the koji to ferment it first, or just straight into some kind of American style fermentation process involved. Um, I'm just curious. My
2: understanding, my understanding is they do not, but there is a place in the Netherlands that will use the koji process. And yeah, the koji process is incredibly important for for what you get at the end of the day. So a lot of whiskey distilleries, you'll hear some say, well, we only ferment for 36 hours. And then you'll hear other ones say, we have a very long fermentation of 60 to 72 hours. Well, the koji process that, that they use in, in Japan that's a 21-day fermentation. It's almost an entire month long. Just to grow the koji part, the first part on the rice is 40 hours. And then you do um, a seven-day with the koji rice and the yeast and water added to it. And that's where you get your moromi. And then you move that to your other secondary fermentation tank where you add more of the steamed rice. And that's another 14 days. So it's, it's a very different process. But again, that's what's beautiful about it. Is you have an expansion of the pie. Like, Scotch in Scotland, they use malted barley. That's how they get the alpha amylase is by malting the barley. Well, in Japan, you just add the koji, and you get the alpha amylase that you need. Plus, you actually start to kick the fermentation. It's great,
1: right? Yeah, the koji has more kind of flavor elements because of the lot of just like hundreds of amino acids and this crazy um, complication within um, the mold itself. So, yeah, I would think it's very um, useful. To deepen flavors and expand expand the flavor profile too, but I'm always co- biased about koji. So,
2: <laughs> no, it's it is. It gives like the Fukano whiskeys carry umami. They um they they have an underlining signature that are uniquely them. Again, you know, we joke you're knocking out bourbon bourbon, you're knocking out scotch scotch. So so make it its own. And if you look at the history of distillation in Japan, that's what they were doing back in the 1500s. So it carries that that provenance of the South of Japan in that distillate that's now making its way into whiskey for the first time. And, and that's, we're very proud of that. Like to, to have a whiskey that has a rich amount of umami in it, to have a whiskey that has like a creamy texture from the koji interacting with the rice and to have a whiskey that just has like an underlining characteristic of the rice. Cause remember they're using local rice as well. So it's all that Kumamoto rice. That's just absolutely so delicious that that contributes that with the barrel to to give you that, Really good end product, we think.
1: Right. And also the Kuma River, that's the, like, uh, I don't know, without Kuma River, how can you make that good shochu? That's another thing of great water within the region, too.
2: Absolutely. It's one of the three fastest flowing in all of Japan. That, that river is mm. awesome.
1: <laughs> right. Um, so, where can we buy Fukano distillery whiskey?
2: So I think it's available in about 35 states now. Um, it's not really in any chains, mostly in mom and pop stores. So I would just suggest like go to your local mom and pop and and see, ask them if they have it. And if they don't, they they probably know how to get it. I would hope because it's a quick it's a quick online search to find us, and we're happy to supply
1: them. <laughs> right. Well, actually, though, I searched on the Total Wine. That's a big you know, the chain of distributor, Um, they carry it, one of them. So that's... uh, Awesome. Yeah. And I heard uh, in a noble restaurant in Las Vegas, I think they carry it too, for example. So it's not just the liquor shops, but the restaurants as well, probably.
2: So we've had really good luck with sommeliers really, really gravitating towards... The idea of of the rice whiskeys because of because of the different flavors they carry with it, a lot of the sommeliers and restaurants have been really receptive to adding it to their um, as part of their bar program or or the bartenders as well at, at the places. They, depending on who's running the program, they've been they've been pretty receptive because again it's like they've got a million bourbons, but but this is something truly unique. So they've been very kind to us and allowing us to have presence at a lot of really good spots. We're grateful for that.
1: Mm, right. Okay. So um, I know there aren't so many uh, Japanese barrel-aged shochu, but what is special about barrel-aged shochu compared to regular whiskey or regular shochu?
2: So I think it carries the, again, I think it just carries the provenance of Japan. Like you, shochu, regular whiskey is designed as as almost a means to an end in most cases. That's starting to change now with different craft distillers and different Big players as well starting to experiment with locally grown barley's and and native yeast strands and whatnot, but historically it was just a means to harvest as much ethanol as possible, and then stick that ethanol into a cask and let that cask mellow it out to give you at the end of the day was was what whiskey is. Whereas on the shochu side, they are more focused on the first drops coming off of the still because because most of the shochu that's consumed is either rested for a minimum amount of time or or, drink, or consumed fresh, so. So they focus a lot on making sure they get the highest quality distillate they possibly can. Like some distilleries will even use a reduced pressure still, so that they can lower the vaporization point of the ethanol and get more of a floral, softer spirit without having a, a lot of um, a lot of bite behind it. And I think that's one of the fundamental differences is is like let's say with bourbon. When you if you take New New Make bourbon, it's a pretty it's a pretty feisty beast. And when you put it into a a new charred oak cask, which is also a feisty beast. They fight each other for years. and at the end of it comes this beautiful distillate. Well, on this side, you start off with a really beautiful distillate, and then you start to manipulate it with the type of oak you put it into. So if you use, let's say, um, sakura cask, which are now starting to become available in the south of Japan, where the sakura trees are grown in Kumamoto, and it influences with the, the distillate, you get this thing that's truly unique, and that is of the south of Japan, I think. Mm-hmm. so. Interesting. I've never heard. Distils. Yeah, the
1: cherry casks. Mm. Right? Wow. Amazing. Because, like, you, you know, the cherry flowers are very visible, but if you smell the leaves, they have a very distinctive note. So I would mm-hmm. imagine casks may be very unique.
2: That's, um, that's kind of funny, right? Because as a whiskey expert, I'm supposed to be able to explain people what they should get from casks. And in most casks, it's very easy. You can say an Oloroso cask, you say dark dried fruits, figs, dates, unsmoked pipe tobacco, a mizunara cask, you can always say sandalwood. But when it comes with a sakura cask, you just have to say it's it's like a sakura cask. And I've yet to find the the good descriptors that you can describe what sakura cask tastes like to someone who doesn't know what it is you almost have to say here try it and then when they try it they go oh yeah <laughs> right it's like well,
1: how does the lemon taste like it's just lemon it's kind of the same uniqueness i guess
2: yeah yeah or you i mean even then you can say yuzu with a little bit more acidity to it right and you kind of you can kind of describe lemon but sakura is just its own his own wow. thing
1: wow interesting wow look into it because it sounds very interesting. And maybe uh, it could be a future of cooperage in Japan. Like Mizunara is so rare. And why don't you just expand the cherry casks category?
2: They're, they're, from what I understand, they're, they're already working on it. They've got cherry, like the Ariyaki, uh, Ariyaki Sangyo does cher, uh, cherry blossom casks. They'll do Mizunara casks. They'll do a bunch of reuse casks. They'll make American oak casks over there. Oh, and that's something else I forgot to tell you, is that the barrel sizes are different in Japan than they are here in the United States. In the U.S., we use 200-liter barrels um, and for new oak cast for bourbon. But over there in Japan, the most commonly used barrel for new oak is actually 440 liters, so they're much bigger. Wow. And that gives us slower. You have a lot higher distillate-to-oak ratio, and it works out perfectly for the shochu, because over here, you have that that feisty beast of a distillate that you need to interact with a lot of oak really quickly, whereas over there, you want it to be a little bit slow because if you let it, you can actually almost over-oak some of the shochus if you're not careful with them. So Mm,
1: so the subtlety, that's always Japanese people's preference, I think.
2: Um,
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I understand you also sell some Japanese, great Japanese whiskey labels, Um, so that's original definition of whiskey like made for being whiskey and um, so the i mean this whole thing that we've been talking about um, the age show to to be whiskey but japanese whiskey has been very popular so why is that what is the difference between other whiskies and japanese whiskey
2: well that can be traced to um that can be traced to two specific events in history actually why all of a sudden japanese whiskey got to be popular it's it's i know it's hard to imagine now but it you know 6 7 years ago you used to be able to buy any japanese whiskey you wanted at a severely discounted price and none of them were really worth anything whatsoever and what happened was um in 2013 there's a publication called the whiskey bible and that year jim murray who writes that book gave yamazaki single sherry cask Whiskey of the Year above everything, and that woke the Western world up to what Japanese whiskey was. To really put that in perspective, a couple of months before that book came out, I was in Kumamoto buying sing- Yamazaki single sherry cask bottles for $70 US, and I could have as many as I wanted. They weren't allocated. You could get, get them anywhere. After the book came out, it took, about, it took just a few weeks, and then all of a sudden you couldn't get it anywhere. And then in a few months when you could get it, it was 1300 wow. $1, dollars a bottle. That same yeah. And that was 2013. Then in 2014, we had the exact same thing happen in Japan on the except in a different way, where there was a television drama called Masa about do son who was the founder of Nika. And that came out, it was a it was a limited series that came out in Japan and it woke all the Japanese people up to wanting to try their own domestically made whiskey. So then you had a whole bunch of people in the in Western culture wanting to drink Japanese whiskey, as well as a whole bunch of Japanese people wanting to drink Japanese whiskey. And it simply just decimated the, the age stocks. And none of the distilleries were prepared for that type of increase in demand. And so it, it created this perfect storm of people wanted it. They heard great things about it, but they couldn't get it. And then people who did get it were saying great things about it because it was great. And then it just made people want it more. So then it became more expensive. And then people said, well, clearly if it's more expensive than it was last year it must be that good so now i want it even more and it just snowballed into this into this craziness and luckily we've all been lucky in that the brands that have stepped in to fill the void and even the the big guys that those two stories were about what they've continued to release has all been of really high quality so it's helped to perpetuate the the attractiveness of the category so like now you have distilleries in Japan that, that might not have been in the US six and seven years ago. they're here now, and they're they're putting out really good stuff and so it's just it's just helping to keep the the motor running for people to be excited about it. And I also think that as people are shifting their what they are wanting to have like with with the opportunity to be able to research things in a second and now that everyone's got it at the tip of their fingers, even they had it six years ago, but even more so now. Everybody wants variety, so everyone's going to, they want to drink bourbon one day, and then maybe they want to drink scotch another day, and then maybe they want to drink something from Japan the third day, and it's, 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 it's structured different, so it's kind of nice, so it fits right into what we're all doing already, so we're all on board, and everything's, everything's just crazy-go-nuts, it's perfect.
1: Right. Yeah. And you can recognize uh, so many different new labels from Japan, Japanese whiskey, like Ichiro to just it's so even hard to follow how many new products are coming out. And whereas I, I actually asked, uh, you know, the chief lender of Santori fukuyo he came onto the show, too. And well, he said, you can't boost uh, the production because it takes like 10, 20 years to make whiskey and you never know how popular the brand stays as strong as now. So yeah, it's a very long-term market and that's why it's kind of quality-oriented, right? Because it's such a big investment. And I really think whiskey industry is really fascinating because it's kind of deliberate and it's not like a beer production. It really takes a long time. You have to be patient um, financially and mentally. So
2: that's, that's right. If you want to if you want to do it right, it takes a long time or it definitely takes significant investment. You can always I don't think anyone that tries to cut corners will survive. So so luckily, for, for the most part in the category, everyone's been been very, very cautious about what they put out to make sure that they put their best foot forward, which is great.
1: Right. So uh, do you see any other uh, barrel aged shochu uh, around in the market right now?
2: Yeah, so we actually import another one called, called the Oishi Distillery, and they're friends with Fukano Distillery. They're about 25 miles away, and Oisan is sixth-generation master distiller. And there's always a it, – it's fun because we all get together to have lunch when I'm in Kumamoto, and um, they, they always go back and forth as to who was the first to put one in the cast because they think they, – they can't remember exactly – who was? But Oi-san thinks Fukano-san was the first by exactly one week to put stuff in a cask.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, they all—they're very close to each other, right? It's like a huge, close-knit community too.
2: They are, and, and um, they—they, they, it's great because they're very supportive of one another. So, so when we go to do our business meetings, I have a three-year-old named Kaito, and we, you know, I'll call Fukano-san and ask him if it's. If he's available for a meeting and his reply isn't, yes, when do you want? He, his reply is, is Kaito coming? <laughs> <laughs> Before <laughs> you.
1: <laughs> right. Well, that's cute. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, for listeners who are interested in visiting the uh, uh, Hitoyoshi area, it's beautiful. Again, the Kuma River is stunning and you can take a long, nice train to watch the whole flow of the river and you can visit. I think uh, it's open to the public, right? You can visit some of the distilleries?
2: You can. They won't let you have access to the barrel-aged stuff um, because, again, because of the regulations, they'll just pour you their shochus, which is, which is really good on its own. And if you get to Hideyoshi, there's a lot of things to do. You've got Aue um, Aso Shrine, which is a, a shrine that dates back 1,200 years. And then you've got, um, you got to make sure that you eat unagi when you're there. So they, they, they're known for their eel. And then go visit. There's 28 distilleries in, in that region that you can go hit. And, and they, all do, they all do some really fascinating things. And there's a couple of hot springs as well. It's, it's, it's really quite a nice place.
1: Right. Um, I don't know if they're still going, but when I visited there, uh, there is a, what's called the Shochu University. And that's like a monthly meeting of all those uh, producers. And uh, one night, I, I just happened to be there that night, you know, once a month, evening. And there's so many good shochu around, and they're having good time. And I really think it's a, such a precious, very special cultural uh, destination, too.
2: Yeah, I, I've, never, I've never had the, the privilege of going to one of those meetings, but I imagine it was a lot of fun because I love drinking shochu.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right so what are your plans
2: our plans are pretty simple so in our company you know we do we do the more traditional style japanese whiskies. we do the the rice whiskies from the south of japan we do scotch whiskies, belgian whiskey welsh whiskey um so our plans are are pretty cut and dry as as a small company we We just try to find really good distillate and bring that in for people to enjoy. And we hope that people enjoy it. So it's like that's 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 what's so great about the rice whiskeys is that it's it's kind of a new world and it's and they're incredible. And so we're we're really excited to have those with us. But we're also very excited to have Welsh single malt whiskey made in a Faraday still, which is a completely different, unique beast that, that we bring in. And is really cool, or like a Belgian single malt whiskey that's made from a triple ale. All of those things we think are contributing to the category of whiskey as a whole. And so, so we want to bring, and our plan is to continue that. Maybe we do some some rums, maybe we do some agave. Who knows? But but as it stands, like just really bringing good distillate in, so people can can enjoy it is 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 the only plan. <laughs> right.
1: So keep pushing the envelope of oh, whiskey and beyond, probably. Yeah, so, well, thank you for joining us today, Chris.
2: Thank you very much for having me, Akiko.
1: So please keep me posted on whatever you're working on, and hopefully you can come back.
2: Thank you very much. Everyone have a great day.
1: Okay, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at network.org or akikokatayama.com. Japan Needs is always available at radio network.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. My engineer, engineer is Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you.